0: Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, a.k.a. TV Calling. I'm Nick Watson,
1: underscore NJ Watson.
0: And today we're going to be talking about act breaks, uh, specifically we're going to be defining what exactly are act breaks, how they've evolved historically, and how they're being used today,
1: and their impact on TV storytelling. All right, well, let's jump into the first one. What exactly is an act break? Well,
0: the point of an act break, at least initially, is to sell advertising. I think we all love uh, seeing those Coke ads in the middle of Mad Men episode, right? <laughs> but not just that. It's also there for storytelling purposes. Uh, when you write act breaks, especially in TV networks and so on, you're trying to drive the story forward with some kind of twist or turn. And actually that very structural aspect of TV writing is what drew me to the medium. That's because you could see it kind, of a, a, kind of like a puzzle. I think we talked in an earlier episode about outlining. And I do like that idea that you have X amount of acts and you write to those
1: temple moments. I guess the idea was that they wanted people to be wanting to come back to the program after the ads. Like they're like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? I need to stay here in front of the TV and not go anywhere. That's why soap operas are in that way is originally
0: you had soap ads in the, in those radio versions of soaps. And I think the TV model adapted a lot of those radio elements to television. And ultimately what you end up with is those kind of almost even chunks of time, be it 10, 15 minutes per act and that's when you kind of figure out those those fill in the blank moments in the aligning process now these divisions of acts may seem arbitrary now because you know who's to say that a story in 15 minutes should be divided into four acts or whatever it is But if you look back in time in the early 20th century, initially films were divided into spools of 15 minutes. So I think this is another element of another medium that TV kind of
1: adapted to its own. Yeah, and so in the world of comedy, back in the day, pretty much all comedies were what we now think of as like multicam sitcoms that are filmed live in front of a stage. And so because it was being taped in front of a live audience, they would cut away to commercials and that would give them an opportunity to change over sets, change costumes like you would in like a live theater show. And as we said, like multicams were really the only way that comedy was done until in the sixties sometime they started to use more of that like film-like single-cam style. So shows like I Dream of. Genie, Get Smart, Adam's Family, Gilligan's Island, it allowed them more locations and the ability to kind of cut like action sequences like in Get Smart. But then they kind of went away again for a little bit. When Norman Liazol and the Family became such a huge hit, multi cams then dominated the TV landscape until almost the early 2000s. And I have a feeling that might have been correlated with some of the technology that was becoming available in terms of digital cameras being cheaper, because you generally shoot a lot more role for single cam shows than you would a, a multi
0: cam. Yeah, show. I mean, Arrested Development was kind of one of the First network shows to completely film digitally, especially for a half hour, versus *Malcolm in the Middle*, which was still shot on 35 at that time. And on the flip end, uh, on the flip side, rather, drama has seen a very different evolution, I think, in, in terms of acts. Comedy has been, for the better half of the century, pretty stagnant in its structure. It's you know two or three acts. Trauma initially. Because of the radio format, I think it started off as kind of this half hour format. So if you look at Gunsmoke or even MASH, you know, Gunsmoke started as a 20 to 30 minute, i.e., half hour show. And then in the early 60s, it switched over to being a one hour format. And so that was kind of the first switch between half hour and one hour format Mad for dramas. But mm-hmm. then in the early 2000s or mid 2000s, I should say, ABC started pushing from four acts stories that were meant to be told into six or even seven acts. So the big temple shows for ABC were uh, Lost and Desperate Housewives at that time. And so that's when the network started pushing because of ad breaks. Mm-hmm. They wanted more ads into their programming because they would have it was made so, so much successful money on those programs. Exactly. Yeah. And it was specifically to draw more revenue in that first window. And so that's like one end of the drama spectrum nowadays, where you have instead of just the two or three act breaks from comedy, you really have a lot of dramas that are either conservatively four or five acts on CBS or six or seven acts on ABC or even CW. And then you have your more premium uh, networks like HBO or even Netflix, OTTs that will have, technically speaking, no act breaks But a lot of shows are still written with act breaks in mind because the writers that are working on those shows either grew up on or previously worked on shows that had act breaks in them. So despite the lack of act breaks, that's not to say that they do not have act breaks
1: in them when they outline. And when you say OTTs, Alex, you're referring to like over the top programming, which is generally something like HBO go. It's like an online version of the same kind of stuff they have, but you don't necessarily need a subscription to that channel either.
0: And that's a, kind of a different almost network in and of itself that we can talk about some other time. But it's really important to distinguish the difference between your more classic drama structure, which is for the better part of like the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and even the 90s, this four act, if not teaser and four act structure versus what we have currently, which is for the vast majority of them, five, six, seven acts, and then the more premium
1: variety that have no acts in them mm-hmm. built in. So again, in the comedy world, like we said earlier, traditional multicam sitcoms like Frasier, Cheers, they all use like a simple kind of two-act structure. And some of the earlier single cams in the 60s, like I Dream of Genie, were using two, although a few of them, like Bewitched, started to develop and use three acts in their structure. So typically in two-act structure for a comedy, act one is the setup, you kind of get your character into hot water, and then the act break is this little mini cliffhanger in the middle where you don't know what's going to happen to them or how it's going to turn out and then act two is how you go about resolving that situation and getting them out of the hot water again to boil it down to a very simple kind of reduction of it another way to look at that is that your character is pursuing their plan a in act one and when plan a fails spectacularly in the act break some kind of twist or turn or reversal causes the character to have to come up with a plan b to achieve that same goal in act two where inevitably they kind of fail again hilariously due to their character's flaws or shortcomings or they succeed in some ironic way, you know, they call it like a Pyrrhic victory. But then today, modern comedies, they are more often single cams. And as a rule, they will use three acts. And as we mentioned before, like a teaser and a tag are very common short elements on either end of the show. So multicams these days are still actually using two acts plus the tag and teaser. So two and a half man, Big Bang Theory, two broke girls. They're all two act structures. Even some animated shows like Rick and Morty actually uses two acts. But the vast majority of modern network single cams will use a three act structure with the teaser and tag. Now where it gets kind of complicated is some of the cable and streaming shows because like alex said they aren't forced to write to act breaks they can kind of bend the rules so on hbo you've got silicon valley and veep maybe like love on netflix for example they don't write act breaks into their scripts but returning to the three act structure it's almost like a movie structure but on less of a grand scale So you have, you know, a major plot point or turn before each of those act breaks. For example, you have the climax of the first act. So again, to boil everything down to really over simple terms, in a three-act comedy structure, act one is your setup. You've got an inciting incident that starts everything off. And then by the act one climax, act break, you're encountering your first major turn or problem. Act two, things are slowly getting more out of control. The different storylines are converging. And then at the act two climax and act break, you have a really major turn or setback to the point where we probably think there's like no coming back from this. How are they going to get themselves out of this situation? Act three is where all of that craziness really wraps up to the max and ensues. But in a way, everything manages to get resolved and the character achieves their goal, but pays a price for it. Or they don't achieve their goal and they learn a lesson because of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, dramas are not as structured in that sense as comedies. Although if we take a step back and look at the point of act breaks on the granite scheme, you know, you can kind of divide dramas into, as I said, four or seven acts And then if you look at the grid of an outline for a show, those breaks are meant, they're not random. They're meant to provide some kind of turn to the story or a cliffhanger or some kind of twist. And so each of those four to seven segments are acts in the same way that plays have acts and not in the theoretical acts that features have. So I think it's important to point out that in that theater analogy, when the act ends, the current comes down and then lights go up and then people take a break and then they come back. And I think TV is very similar in that model. Versus feature, which is much more of a theoretical three act structure. You know, at the end of act one of the feature, you know, the lights don't come up and you don't take a break. The story just continues. There's no intermission anymore. Exactly. All the intermissions are a little bit different for uh, for features. But just to go back to the drama side, within that constraint of having clear acts and turns in the story, you can still find, especially in that four act traditional structure, that on a show like Buffy or other classically procedural shows, you can kind of get a sense of a similar narrative where the first act is going to be where the problem is introduced. And then usually that act is going to end on a surprise. And then the characters will respond to that complication and that surprise in the second act. And then the stakes of that problem are going to be raised in a third act. And finally, the fourth act is going to resolve that issue. So for example, if act one is about setting up a case in a legal drama, then the second to last act, so in my example, the third act is going to be usually when the other side be the problem prosecution or the defense is going to throw a curveball to our legal team mm-hmm. so that's an example now again to parallel back to the film version of that if you look at a three-act structure like in your example for comedy you do have that sense that act one is about setting up act two and three of this four-act drama are all about the adventurers in the middle and then act four is the equivalent act three-act structure where it's all about the resolution of the whole thing now again The whole point of having act breaks and having acts is to offer some kind of resolution when you come back from the act break. Now, this is not a complete resolution, obviously, because TV, unlike features, is a perpetual medium. You know, there's no story that's fully concluded in any episode, really. So it's kind of like, think of it as like a mini version of a cliffhanger, right? Like when a Breaking Bad episode ends, Walter White is in a bind and you tune into the next episode to figure out how is Walter White going to get out of that one it's kind of like that miniature version and those act breaks. Mm-hmm. So those four acts in drama are very important in that way. Now, on the flip side, you have the current landscape, which is, as I said, five to seven acts. And those become much less clear in terms of their goal. The one thing that's inherently clear about having more acts is that those added acts will be there to increase the stakes and the tension and put more obstacle in the way of the protagonist and add another dimension to the story or the dilemma that is at play in the episode. Now, there's a big problem with that. And that is when you have a show with seven act breaks, I'm (laughs) sorry, with six act breaks in a seven act structure, that means you need to have six twists in one hour of TV storytelling. And that can create a lot of artificial drama and twists just for the sake of the advertisers, really. So this is a problem
1: they're going to be talking about in the next section. Now that we've covered how acts are broken up across comedy and drama and how they're working structurally, let's take a look at how they actually impact the narrative of these shows. So, the narrative context to where these act breaks land is quite important and what is the function that an act break is serving in each of these acts? Is it about character or plot or what do you think, Alex?
0: I think it differs maybe for comedy, but for drama, I think primarily it's going to be a story component because when you break down an episode of a narrative into those 47 acts, you need to figure out those 10 pole moments. And obviously any story, especially in TV, is intrinsically about character. However, you do want to build to those moments that will make the audience tune into the next act. And if we take a very mainstream example like Lost, you have those very dramatic music shifts at the end of each, each act where Michael Giacchino puts in the bass or whatever it is, and it's like smash the black. It's actually written in the scripts if you look at any Lost script. In fact, most current shows on the air, most drama shows on the air, you have those very almost thick dramatic act where you smash the black. And what does smash the black even mean? I don't even know. But... It's like a very dramatic way of ending that scene. So that ties into the initial reason for act breaks, and that is to raise the stakes. And so the point of an act break ultimately is if you end on a character or a story, and usually a story moment, it is because you wanna crystallize everything that you've set up in that act. You know, if you compare it to the theater again, it's like a coup de théâtre, as we say in French, where it's this iconic moment at the end of an act that makes you go, whoa like it makes you go holy crap i need to like
1: tune into the next act of that theater while well, not tune in or for like a really over-the-top version of that in the soap operas it's when they are sitting with the camera on everyone's face in turn for a couple of seconds at a time as everyone's like letting this latest plot reveal sink in before they cut to the commercial you know
0: exactly i mean in, in trauma that's pretty much what half of the shows on there do at this point it's mm-hmm. not necessarily just the story reveal and fade to black it's truly reaction shot of some one looking into the camera or looking distantly at this other character and then cut to black and That's what most dramas, act breaks, look like currently on the air. Now, you can look at other less plot-heavy shows like Parenthood or 30-something, which are more family dramas, and those tend to raise questions tied to the story, but more about the characters, and that is because the story is about the character's identity, like relationships, religion, but by and large, an act break is always about a character who's coming at a crossroad, making a decision, and so by that definition, it's always intrinsically about story.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that a good act break should always hit both a plot turn and a character moment if you're doing it right. A plot shift is always necessary at an act break in some way, but at least in comedy, you can kind of sometimes forego the character implications. We're not sitting there taking in someone's reaction on the act break of a comedy a lot of the time, because in most sitcoms, characters don't truly change or have season arcs like in a drama. So moments of character change like that are a little less important than the actual twist and turns of the story. You know, you can have an episodic character arc, so for example, like, Homer sees the world from Lisa's perspective when he tries to become a vegetarian, but inevitably, by the end of the episode, he's going to be back to that same crusty burger munching slob. So, that said, even if a character isn't substantially changed by the unfolding events, they should still be invested in and affected by them. So if Mr. Burns fires Homer as a result of his buffoonery, he's going to care and he's going to react to that plot point, regardless of whether or not it will make him a different person in the long term because it won't whereas in a drama a key plot point could potentially traumatize a character and make them a fundamentally different person from then on out or crystallize their descent into darkness like Walt spoiler alert Walt in Breaking Bad watching Jesse's girlfriend Jane choke to death and not intervening
0: right i mean those are like more cliffhangers but uh in terms of the the Burns example um do you think it's going to play out just for the rest of the episode or it's going to really have an impact for the rest of the season Usually, it's going to be self-contained. Correct? Yeah, by
1: the end of the episode, he's always going to have his job back. That's just kind of the nature of those particular sitcoms. Do you find there are any comedies out there that do have this kind
0: of dramatic version of that, where an act break or a cliffhanger is going to have
1: some permanent impact on that character for the remainder of the show or the season? Oh, definitely. I think BoJack Horseman is one of the great examples of that, and it's part of the reason I think why it's been so different and succeeded is because I call it the Breaking Bad of animated comedy because his character actually has an arc and he changes from season to season and episode to episode it's this kind of like descent in and then trying to get back up claw his way back up again and you know this constant kind of shift and change but he does fundamentally change who he is as a character over the course of that which has never really been done with most animated comedic sitcoms but i think that's the exception rather than the rule when it comes to comedy
0: yeah, I mean I agree that it's the exception. Although there's a trend now where a lot of comedies are, I feel offer a lot more story than just the jokes.
1: Totally. It's it's certainly evolved. You're the worst is another example of that where the character of Gretchen is developing over the course of the seasons, the character of Lindsay, you know, people like that. So it's it's not as much of a hard reset world anymore, but as we're talking about the traditional kind of stuff, that would usually be the case. Yeah, I mean the, the drama example would be something like
0: twenty four, that'd be the most impactful act act break ever where literally you have a clock at the end of every act just telling you how much time is left in the episode and i think that's a really poignant story-driven way of echoing that act break mentality
1: so alex you mentioned that the number of acts is being inflated particularly on broadcast drama so how does that affect the pacing does it slow it down does it speed it up yeah it actually speeds it up a whole lot you know as i said that
0: extra act or two or three is there in the middle you know it's not at the end it's just placed in the middle and just expands that middle phase of the episode where you're just continuously amping up the stakes and that does work in something like the soap you know you can look at shonda Rhimes' shows like how to get away with Murder, scandal Grey's anatomy those shows can handle those six acts because it's all about craving for that next narrative twist at every corner. Another show like that is Vampire Diaries, which is known to burn story. And so obviously because of that seven act structure, that means you will have more turns and that pacing in my mind is going to be driven up now here, what I mean by fast pacing, I'm only talking about the story aspect, the narrative. You know, how many scenes do you have in an episode? If you have 60 scenes in a one hour show, that pacing is going to be twice as fast as 30 scenes in a one hour show because, you know, that means you spend twice as long or as less of a time in a particular moment. Now, what do you think is the equivalent for
1: comedy, though? Do you think it's also uh, fast forwarding? I think it's a slightly different situation, but if I had to draw comparisons to your kind of Shondaland shows versus HBO in comedy, you'd be looking at very fast-paced stuff would be those classic like, NBC comedies like 30 Rock or even Kimmy Schmidt because it was developed for NBC, even though it's now on Netflix. So very kind of like lots of cutaways, lots of action, lots of things running around happening versus, yeah, more of the comedies that are coming out on things like Netflix, like Judd Apatow's Love, which is kind of not written with acts. It's almost meandering Mm slice-of-life kind of comedy. So, for you, your spectrum is like, on one end you have Love, right? Which is more
0: about living in the moment, staying with the characters Mm -hmm. for a beat, or three beats, or five beats. Mm -hmm. And then the other end is going to be your 30 rock, or it's just cutaway jokes after cutaway joke. Yeah, many Um, more
1: characters to get between, lots of different storylines happening.
0: Right. Then I feel like for the drama level and it'd be in the love end you'd probably have more the premium network like HBO obviously but even AMC occasionally like Mad Men in case you did not know Mad Men is not written with act breaks you know it's written without acts but then AMC in production puts in the act breaks Matthew Weiner doesn't care for act breaks and so that's like one end you know you can look at the wire which is also very meandering and all about the characters in that moment but on the other end of the spectrum as I said you have your Shonda Land shows with a neck-breaking pace. Now, looking at that spectrum and looking at the current fairs on TV right now, is it fair to say that if you look at just purely network shows, while dramas were once upon a time very slow and heavy on the network side because of that switch of 45 to 7 acts, they have become much faster. Whereas comedy have slowed down a bit. If you look at I Love Lucy, which is very fast-paced, versus something like Love, do you think it's much more introspective or like other single cam are more
1: about the characters or the story? Yeah, certainly. I think that if drama is speeding up, comedy is almost being given permission to slow down from those original kind of multi-cam days where it was joke a minute. It was basically a live theater show and you need to really keep the energy up to keep the audience entertained. Whereas now there are so many more options and tools available to comedy storytellers. So while there were there was genius created within those creative limitations of having to have x amount of jokes a minute and that kind of energy we now have shows pushing boundaries like never before i just watched tig Natara's one mississippi and the first episode of that is just brutal and heart-wrenching she literally watches her mother get taken off life support and die in front of her this is a comedy wow. this is a half hour comedy yeah <laughs>
0: um,
1: so they're definitely not three jokes a page on that but it was still really compelling and then the tone in general was just very darkly humorous like that well, after she died this is this kind of moment and tig is like so what do we do with the Body to just leave her here to just like walk out, like like, things like that. Reminds me of 60 Under or something, yeah, exactly. So, I feel like these days the old school multi cams are still really thriving, they get huge ratings and they're doing really well. Big bang! But then we also have all these brilliant cable and streaming comedies that have been given this artistic and freedom of format to tell the stories how they want to. On the flip side of that, I do feel that it almost means that the network single cam comedy world is suffering a little bit in that system and those restrictions, in the same way that dramas are having those placed upon them. For example, I think NBC in particular has kind of screwed the pooch a little on what used to be a very vibrant and beloved slate of network comedy, Parks and Rec, 30 Rock, Community, because the shows weren't getting the ratings they wanted and they weren't fitting that network comedy model that they were putting out there. You're just adding to our anime list. Now uh, we have NBC on our anime <laughs> list. Uh, it just keeps growing. Oops, sorry. <laughs> and now they're actually basically moving all of their comedies online with CISO, so maybe the to understand that that model just doesn't fit those same kind of stories. I think that ABC has been flailing a little bit with some of their recent failures and some of the pilots that haven't been going that well and there are just a couple of their stalwart series that are keeping their comedy afloat. Fox is doing pretty well but honestly a lot of their best comedy is still moving towards the cable outlets like FX and FXX and these streaming services will just come and swoop in and pick up any of these shows that get cancelled like you know Arrested Development, Community, The Mindy Project because they don't rely on the same ratings they just want to draw in the audience Audience as subscribers and it kind of works for their model that's interesting because I feel like for the longest
0: time we've had with the advent of basic cable and even premium cable we've had this nicheification is that a word that's probably not a word I'm just, <laughs> I am just uh, coined a word uh, yeah. ladies and gentlemen nicheification uh, this nicheification of a TV where you had drama you know if you went to USA for the longest time you'd go to USA for those blue sky characters and you'd go to Lifetime for very like kind of like feminist dramas and so on or even sci-fi for or, or science fiction or SIFI as Now it's called. (laughs) But for comedy, you never had the same sense of genre until IFC, I feel like. And that kind of brought in FXX after that, and you brought in CISO, like you mentioned CISO, Mm -hmm. which is full of those kind of odd British shows that you can't find on NBC Mm -hmm. and they're all online. Like I think every Monty Python ever is,
1: is on CISO and all these different kind of more niche shows. Yeah, it's in the best interest of these streaming services and subscription based models to basically have something for everyone or have very niche things that appeal to certain audiences and then have enough of them that they are bringing in the broadest possible audience rather than the largest possible audience because that's how they're going to make money
0: right and I think just like circle back to the topic like I do appreciate the fact that now we have this diversity of structure and diversity of format where you can have that Tigno Taro show on Netflix right it's on Mm -hmm. Netflix yeah that we're probably not Work on the Fox. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would have been cancelled after the first episode. <laughs> after the second of the first episode. But uh, that said, you know, in drama, as I said, you have that four act TV drama where the that second act will be the response to the first act, and then those stakes will keep being raised. And I think it's a pretty common problem in the feature angle where a lot of people have this cool opening for a movie and this cool ending for a movie. But a lot of people have trouble filling in that act two. That's like 90% of the movie, guys. Do you think that's true uh, of TV drama as well, then? I don't know if it's true of a TV drama, but like that parallel was more about this idea that the larger that act two becomes, the larger you're forced to fill that hole, the harder it is, you know? Sure. yeah. And for TV dramas, if you have to keep amping up the stakes at every single act, at some point, that perpetual escalation will just be artificial. This inflation in acts that that networks have asked to put in because of advertising reasons and because they want to monetize their show more on that first window. And a lot of showrunners have voiced their negative opinion uh, on that business model. And that's especially problematic if you look at more procedural shows. So I know that Robert King, who is one of the co-creators with Michelle King of The Good Wife, did talk about this idea that because of the multiplication of twists and turns in the story, you have what he calls this Brookheimer-esque explosion storytelling. And what that means is you have to smash to commercial on a huge action moment or a huge blockbuster story reveal. And that can work for some soapy shows like Shonda Rhimes shows, but that probably doesn't work for more low-key, introspective shows like *The Good Wife* or even *Mad Men*. For
1: them, yeah, I feel like in a way you're almost risking making it comedic by going to that level of <laughs> drama. It's like if I had to get up and go over there to grab a glass of water, and when I stand up, I trip over on my face, and then I have to smash to black. Yeah, <laughs> that's act one, act one. Then I stand up again, and as I'm walking, a cat runs under my legs, and I fall over again, smash to black. What? Act two. Get up, and I go over there again, and suddenly the fan falls on my head what? and then we, we freeze frame as the fan's coming down on oh me my God. And, <laughs> next week right <laughs> and then eventually it. after all of these like crazy obstacles i get there and i get my glass of water and i drink it and then and then it's tea oh no instead of that i'm like about to drink it and it's almost about to touch my lips and then we smash to black what's gonna happen next oh week like you know if you throw so many artificial obstacles that don't feel realistic or they don't feel true to the character in the story then you're risking it be melodrama or be comedy <laughs> I mean, even a
0: show like Vampire Diaries, Vampire Diaries is very soapy and it's on CW and so on. But even Julie Pleck, who is the co-creator and one of the showrunners of that show, uh, voiced her opinion, a negative opinion on that constant need for twists. twist. And I'll just like quote what she said. Now it's the industry standard to have seven acts. And the problem is you make a decision like that for business reasons, but there's a creative domino effect. It was hard enough to come up with a great end-of-act break, four times an episode in traditional TV storytelling. Soup operas live and die by those moments at the end, right before the commercial break, when something happens and everybody gasps. That's the whole point of an act out, to bring your audience back after a commercial break. Now, with a teaser, you are actually doing it seven times. That's seven woes. And of course... The other thing that has happened is your screen time has shrunk by a good minute and a half over the last couple of years. So you're looking for seven woes in 41 minutes. And when everything has to be leading to that woe every five and a half or six minutes, how do you actually let a story unfold naturally from a human place, an emotional place, and give it air and give it room to breathe? So when people say to us, you're blurring through so much story, we're like, well, you gotta because you need the wow. Wow. And I think that's very telling about the current state of TV dramas on that work, where you have
1: seven woes in 40 minutes. And what she's referring to there as well is that networks are shrinking the amount of time that shows are allowed to be on the air to fit in an extra ad or two every now and then. So honestly, in the last five or 10 years, there are multiple minutes have been shaved off of network stories. And that's, I guess, that's again why there's such a huge benefit to being on streaming, because they can go, a half hour comedy can be, 30 minutes. It can be 32 minutes sometimes if it needs to be instead of like 21 to fit all the ads in. Yeah, I think Master of
0: None varies from like 30 to even 45 minutes, I think, as an episode. But yeah, I mean, uh, what Julie Pleck was bringing also on top of the reduction of time and on top of those seven act breaks is the fact that every act has to feel different. It's kind of like a flavor. you know you gotta come back from Act 2 into Act three and the tempo must have changed the outlook into the future must have you know all these different things and that's very difficult to do in six pages. You can't just do six pages of one thing and then switch a completely different thing and within the span of one episode so it just
1: complexifies it even further. So when we're talking about these cable shows and these streaming shows that have quote unquote no acts, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that there's no structure to these shows that people are just kind of like wandering yeah, around in, that... a, in a freeform improvisation? <laughs> like what? Wait,
0: I do want to see a freeform improv version of Mad Men. What does that look like? I mean, I feel John Hamm would be pretty good at it. Yeah, uh, I think so. But yeah, what does that look like? Well, Mad Men, as as we said, doesn't write to act breaks. Matthew Weiner just writes like he wants. I guess he's Matthew Weiner. He can do whatever he wants so in my mind you know any good story offers catharsis and specifically because tv writing is about building towards a climax you know you need those mini climaxes no pun intended mm-hmm. to to achieve There's plenty of them in to, achieve, to achieve to achieve uh, catharsis <laughs> 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 okay this is a PGA 13 podcast. So what that means is the break to commercial comes at the moment of greatest tension and uncertainty that can translate to visual musical cues like Michael Giacchino and Lost or cell moments like on Gilmore Girls. But you need to bring that drama to such a point four more times to really be fulfilling because otherwise it just lays flat. Mad Men doesn't have act breaks in the traditional sense on the writing angle. So that pacing is much much slower, and what that also means is you don't have the same level of repetition. If you look at CSI or your traditional procedural multiple times in the episode, usually you'll be, when you come back from a break, you'll be hearing information you already know. Because one character fills in the other character and also fills in the audience that might have joined in, in
1: the middle of the episode. Mad Men doesn't work that way. You have to be focused watching the show. I mean, it would always be a hallmark of bad writing in a show like Mad Men right. if in one scene something happens and then the next scene is just... Two characters telling each other the same thing that as, happened as you know nick <laughs> yeah whereas you almost need that in those broadcast shows to fill people in after they get back from the break like you said
0: and i think that's a positive thing in the sense that you treat your audience smarter but it's also a drain again you know think about that backlog of shows you have on your dvr right now how many of those shows are it's just like this run of 13 premium cable triple a shows that are just sitting on your DVR and it's a slog to watch Mm. through them because they're so heavy and so introspective and so slow and so that's the drawback is you can live in the moment but it's a completely
1: different experience than something like Master of None which is very fast paced or 30 rock or whatever it is. It really does need your full attention like you're saying like I think there was a great article a little while back about this middle of the road programming that people could just kind of like easily enjoy and not have to really invest in. Mm -hmm. You can just play it in the background when you're doing stuff and enjoy it. But it's not necessarily high drama. So, you know, there is something to be said for making things a little bit easier to digest in that network way. Features are kind of the same way. I feel like that's why Blockbuster
0: is so successful. And that's why NCIS is still successful after 30, 50 decades. So 500 years of uh, NCIS, for mm-hmm. counting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I agree that you do need flavors on all those levels. And that's why we have Peak TV right now,
1: actually. So, I mean, in regards to this no act break thing, I may be a Puritan, but I think that act breaks are necessary for most comedy. Traditional plot-driven comedy thrives on structure. It's all about expectations. It's all about timing. You want to put your characters in a pressure cooker, so it helps to have these set moments that you're building towards where it could potentially explode, and then you surprise people or change their expectations. So that's why I think it kind of helps if you can break down the story into smaller sequences, these minor victories and comic failures. They're almost self contains stories within themselves. Will Rick and Morty escape from this planet in time, which ties into a larger story of will they get the device that they need to save Jerry, which ties into will Jerry die? It's all kind of like fractal in nature. Scenes have a goal and an obstacle and an outcome, and multiple of those build into a sequence or an act, and then multiple of those build into an episode. So if you're using all of these smaller pieces correctly, they fit together to kind of build the appropriate tension and suspense and character journeys that will help you come to a satisfying and in comedy hilarious conclusion. Now that said, there are a lot of character-driven slice of life stories, and they're less about these huge plot turns and twists and more about character moments and journeys. So in comedy like Louie or Love, Even a lot of the episodes of BoJack Horseman, depending on which one, those kind of act-break-plot-twist moments are less important. You know, in BoJack, it's usually less about these crazy plot curveballs being thrown at him than it is him trying to overcome his own vices and flaws and just to function as a person and save the relationships with the people around him. In a show like Curb Your Enthusiasm, it's more about how Larry David's character reacts to a situation and the hilarity and the consequences from that, rather than him actively, doggedly pursuing some physical goal. Again, that's an HBO show, so in that way it has that freedom. So in that respect, I think act breaks are less needed to twist and turn the plot in these kind of shows. But regardless of whether you're actually physically writing in end of act one, start of act two on a page... You can still usually break up story into distinct sections and units of meaning after the fact, like Alex said you do with features. A moment like Larry tries to apologize for his earlier remarks, but in doing so offends these people even more. Now he's far worse off than he was before. Is a clear kind of act break or climax moment within a story, even if it's not written like that on the page, for example. So it's not like writing without act breaks on the page makes you immune to rules or guidelines of story and structure. It just gives you a little more freedom to play around with them or change when they arrive. What do you think is the future of act breaks in comedy? Do you think we're going to see ever a four or five act comedy half hour? i wouldn't be surprised if there already is one out there that i just don't know about yet i think the format of all these things particularly comedy has been changing so rapidly that anything is possible and there are half hour dramas and i guess there are probably some hour-long comedies yeah so it wouldn't surprise me what's the funniest uh one hour they can think of I mean, yeah, actually thinking about it, Jane the Virgin and Orange is the New Black are both hour long, but some people would consider those comedies as well. And I think that might actually cause problems for like the Emmys and things like that, where they're broken up into like half hour versus hour rather than comedy versus drama. Uh Like the Martian winning Golden Globe for best comedy. Martian Mm -hmm. laugh out loud comedy. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of the Emmys, it's happening in two
0: hours, guys. Uh, Sorry, 3 p.m. over here on (laughs) Sunday. What about Crazy
1: Ex-Girlfriend? That's an amazing uh, one hour show. That's also very funny. 100%. So I think that the rules are out there to be broken, but I would still encourage everyone who is a beginning writer not to just throw act breaks out the window. I do see a lot of scripts that are being written by younger writers and newer writers where they don't use act breaks, and more often than not, they're a little bit sloppy, and things drag on too long, nothing really changes, and they miss these important beats that are needed for story. So I think that you should at least use act breaks, like training wheels, if you need to, and once you've actually won a few races, then you can take them off.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at pilots, I think a lot of people assume that no act breaks means more premium, so they want to write that cool HBO pilot, and they just write (laughs) no act breaks into them. Yeah, everyone Uh, wants the show on Netflix or HBO. Yeah, uh, but that's not really how it works in TV world. Especially when you write a spec pilot or anything like that, you really need to have structure. And the reason why Matthew Weiner doesn't write act breaks into Mad Men isn't because he hates act breaks. It's because he knows structure inside and out, and he can write it that way. If you look at a show like Oz, which is an HBO show with no intrinsic act breaks, the creator is Tom Fontana, who worked on Homicide. And Homicide was a network show with very clear procedural aspects to it. And just because you wanna imitate someone who has done this amazing premium cable network show, doesn't mean you should just imitate that version of it. Act breaks, especially when you break, when you're first running out, are very important for comedy, of course, but also for drama, I believe that it even makes the task easier when you're outlining. You have that grid that you can fill the blanks in and you can sort of figure out the temples of what's the end of act one, what's the end of act two, what's the end of act three, and so on. And then you can fit into that puzzle whatever you want and whatever you need. And that's easier than having this kind of like esoterical blank page of, All all right, I'm just gonna write straight like 60 pages
1: with no acts. It's just gonna be this like feature-esque experience. <laughs> I mean the structure is always there. It's just more under the surface in those those shows that are written without act breaks. And it's kinda of like those more experienced writers, like Alex said, have that already drilled into them and they're able to then bend and break the rules.
0: That's why you should always
1: leave an act break. <laughs> And now let's look at some takeaways. Number one, act breaks do have an important narrative function. They're not just cosmetic or there to sell ad space. Number two, be aware that act breaks change dramatically, pun
0: intended, by genre and network. But generally speaking, there are between two and three
1: acts for comedy and five and seven for drama or no acts for OTTs. And number three, some shows don't write to act breaks, but it doesn't mean they don't have structure. What are some resources we can give our listeners today, Alex?
0: Well, I mentioned earlier an interview featuring Robert King from The Good Wife, as well as other Schroner level people. And there's an excerpt from a book called Shriner's based on the movie Push by Sapphire the movie <laughs> <laughs> the movie shorner's that our good friend Jimmy Wynn helped produce and so this book talks obviously about the shortening of things in tv but this excerpt is specifically about act breaks and specifically about
1: the change in narrative structure that currently befalls every drama on tv show on tv Nice. On my part, I have an article from The Atlantic, which is called Cracking the Sitcom Code. And it basically breaks down that fundamental sitcom formula that everyone is familiar with, at which point certain things happen in the stories and how that's all broken up. So take a quick look at that. Wait, so uh, is Tom Hanks involved in this version of the sitcom code? <laughs> yes, it's written by Dan Brown. So prepare to have a hard slog. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Enemy number 93, Dan Brown. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of our episode. We would like to thank everyone for investing your time in listening to us. We would also love some reviews, like these awesome ones that we're going to read out, but you can leave yours at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And the first review we're going to read today, uh, hopefully positive,
0: right? Is by your friend, Lori, who says... Your
1: friend or my friend? Is it just our Maybe you both heard. The friend.
0: friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast, Lori, who says... What I enjoy about this podcast is that although it is chatty and casual, it feels like the host must outline the episodes ahead of time, or just do a great job editing, or both, because the conversation moves quickly, stays on track, and is easy to follow. On a lot of podcasts, it feels like the host just turn on the microphone and start talking, which can allow the podcast to feel really organic and fun, but also leads to a lot of unnecessary tangents, boring parts that I want to fast forward through, and sometimes confusing or contradictory information. I like that this podcast hosts respect the listener's time and put in the work to make the show entertaining and informative at the same time. Thank you, Lori. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we like to turn our microphones off and stop talking. I think that's the the real... (laughs) That's the key. That's the key. And (laughs) that was very dramatic. Thank you. For my one that I'm going to read out is from Wendy B. The title is Wanna Write for TV? Highly recommend giving this a listen. And her review goes, As a newbie trying to learn the ins and outs of writing for TV, I found this show to be super useful. The hosts know their stuff and have a good rapport. I've listened to every episode twice, and I never do that with podcasts. Well... We appreciate that. I hope when you listen to this for the second time, you appreciate that too. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I hope you appreciate Nick reading your review. Yeah, the that's, second I think time. that's what I was it's trying to amazing. say. And as always, you can find me online at TV Calling. And I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, opinion, email mail from NBC, CISO, whoever we just bad badmouthed for. Dan Adam Brown. Brown. Dan Brown. Uh, you can send it to ask at paperteam.co.co.com. What are we talking about next week? Well, next week, we're welcoming our, our my good friend uh, and soon our good friend, Keon Kim, who's a fellow comedy writer, to talk about every writer's favorite subject or every person's favorite subject, money.
1: Money, 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 money. money, money. money. <laughs>
0: And specifically, we'll be talking about how to
1: manage your money when you're first starting out. I wish this had been podcast number one and I wouldn't be so broke. Uh, I can't wait to look in my bank account tonight. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week.